1: in my heart there's an anguish because for the most part the people of Israel his race Paul's Jewish they're not saved they're not going to heaven which is an absolutely fascinating statement and an incredible thought because they are the most spiritually privileged people in all of the world
0: the Israelites were God's chosen people He revealed himself to them, and he loved them. He blessed them. They were a spiritually privileged people. But in the end, most of the Jewish people rejected his son, and by doing that, gave up salvation. Today, Pastor Danny will explain how neither spiritual privilege, religious heritage, nor biblical knowledge will save you. You must believe in Christ and trust him with your life. The Jewish people were biblical and zealous, but they were missing the Messiah. Now here's Pastor Danny in the Book of Romans, chapter 9, as he begins his message, God's earnest desire for everyone to be saved.
1: We're in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9. One of the reasons God gives us uh, Bible teachers is to help us understand the scriptures. I'm amazed that I have that privilege. Last week, chapter 8, Paul dealt with sufferings and sufferings especially according to the will of God. And the idea, of course, one of the things he drove home is that no matter what you're called to suffer as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in our lives one day. And so last week was kind of the amazing salvation we have, and it's worth it no matter what it costs in terms of sacrifice as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And now he really switches gears. And Chapter 9 is really tied in with chapters 10 and 11. It's going to be very difficult to deal with all three chapters, but they are all tied together. We'll just do chapter 9. There are seven points and then a finale. Verse 1 Paul writes, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow. An unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theres are the patriarchs, the men who God used to produce the people of Israel. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. He's a Messiah for the whole world, but he's Jewish. The human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Now, without detailing All the privileges he mentions here, let's just kind of put it as one statement that Israel, according to this section of verses, is a very privileged people. Think about it. Nobody in all of the world has had the revelation of God the way Israel has. God has not communicated. And revealed himself any more to a people than he has to the people of Israel. And yet Paul is saying every day, there's a sadness in my heart, there's an anguish, because for the most part, the people of Israel, his race, Paul's Jewish, they're not saved. They're not going to heaven, which is an absolutely fascinating statement an incredible thought, because they are the most spiritually privileged people in all of the world. Here's our first point. Spiritual privilege does not guarantee salvation. You better not miss that. Let me expound a little more on the truth of this statement and these verses. It doesn't matter how deeply your belief in God is. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. It doesn't matter how often you have attended a church service. It doesn't matter if your desire and your zeal for God is absolutely sincere. When we get to chapter 10, Paul will open and he will say, I, I can testify that Israel as a people, their zeal for God, they got zeal, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They're missing the truth. They're missing the main thing. They're missing the Messiah. So the fact that you're here in a church service gives you no kudos with God. You believe in God? James James says, hey, you believe in God? Good. The demons believe in God too. They're not saved. Spiritual privilege. Doesn't guarantee salvation. Back in chapter 2 of Romans, Paul said there, a Jew is not one of his just one outwardly. And circumcision, which was a big deal under the law for the Jewish people, it's not merely outward and physical. No, a Jew being one who God has called to be saved, <laughs> one who God has revealed himself to so they, they, they might be saved. No, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit. Bottom line is, if your heart has never been changed, if you have never been what the Bible refers to as born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven, no matter how religious you are, no matter how deep your belief in God is, no matter how much you know about the Bible. No matter how much other people think you are saved and headed for heaven, you must be born again. There must be a spiritual thing that happens in your life by the Spirit of God. So spiritual privilege doesn't guarantee salvation. Verse 6, it is not as though God's word had failed regarding Israel. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor, because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I'll return and Sarah will have a son. Uh, most of you know, I don't want to assume everybody knows, the story that he's referring to here. Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And God says to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have children. You're going to have a, a child, a specific child. They didn't have any children. And when God tells them that Sarah's going to have a child, they're already old. They're old. And after God tells them they're going to have a child, 13 plus years pass, and now they're really old. Now, they're so old that physically, humanly, biologically, they cannot have children. And yet, Sarah conceives through Abraham. It's a miracle. It's a miracle child. And that miracle child, they named him Isaac. He's a representation of the future child, the Messiah, who would also be a miracle child. Only God did that one without a man involved. Here's the point. Supernatural birth is essential for salvation. It's a driving home, the first point, and using the biblical illustration. Abraham and Sarah. Supernatural birth is essential. Jesus, on one occasion, one of the many occasions, he had contention with the religious people and especially the religious leaders in his first coming. And they argue with him that they are Abraham's descendants, and therefore they must be saved. And he says, you are Abraham's descendants, but you're not Abraham's children. That's exactly what Paul is writing here because it's a spiritual birth. It's not a physical birth. It's not related to your race. It's not related to to what people you belong to. If you have not been born again, supernatural birth, essential essential for salvation. Well, it gets better. Verse 10, not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by her father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in, and here's the word that divides the church sometimes, God's purpose in election might stand not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Let me settle something right away. The word for hated is not in the Greek or the Old Testament Hebrew where it's quoted. It's not an emotional statement. It's a word that, that basically is One I've accepted, the other I've rejected. That's the hatred, the rejection. It's not an emotional hatred. Not that I didn't didn't love Esau. It's I've chosen Jacob and I've rejected Esau. Now, that was unnatural in that culture because they're twins, but technically Esau comes out first. Jacob gets his name because he's grabbing his brother's heel. His name means heel grabber. He's trying to get first, you know, but he did not Esau got out first. And in that culture, Esau would get the blessing of the firstborn. He'd get the double inheritance, et cetera. But God said, before they were born, we're going to switch things. And rather than Esau get the blessing, Jacob's going to get the blessing. Before they were born, God said, I've chosen Jacob, but I've rejected Esau. Now, at this point, some might go, I don't know if I like this God of the Bible. But here's point number three. God's sovereign choice, Jacob versus Esau, is not based on natural birth. Again, driving the point home. But here it gets a little deeper. It's a little deeper doctrinally. It's a little deeper theologically. Now it's like, well, that kind of bothers me that God said, I chose Jacob, but I rejected Esau. That doesn't sound fair. Before they were born. But let's get to point four. Verse 14, what then shall we say? Is God unjust because he chose Jacob and rejected Esau? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, God's saying, I'll do what I want to do. does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Salvation is not dependent on human desire or effort, but upon God's mercy. That's point number four. That's exactly what we just read. That's what God's saying. Without a doubt, the toughest part of the text. And when we get into this section, this section of Scripture has produced two camps of thought in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about people who love Jesus, believe in the same Jesus, believe in the same Bible, and if you don't know either one, you're actually probably more blessed. But I need to tell you, for the sake of what God has to say, there is a group called Calvinists. And opposed to the Calvinists, there's a group in the church called Arminianists, and they get their name from the two guys that started both schools of thought. In Christian college, they told us we remember Calvinism and the five points of Calvinism by the heading TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And here's what it stands for. Number one, Total depravity. You're a sinner and you need a savior. Number two, unconditional election. What does that mean? If God's chosen you to be saved, you're going to be saved and you don't have any choice in it. If God's chosen you not to be saved, you're not going to be saved and you don't have a choice in it. It's unconditional. It's sovereignty of God, period. Point number three limited atonement. And because they believe, some are chosen and some are not, that Jesus, his sacrifice and his death on the cross and his shedding of the blood was for the elect, not for those he didn't choose. That's what Calvinists teach. Point number four, irresistible grace. It's driving home the unconditional election irresistible grace. If you're going to be saved, if you're chosen to be saved, even you might not say, I don't want to be saved. I want to go with my friends to hell. Well, you can't because God's chosen you. You can't resist that. You're going to be saved. It's guaranteed. But if you haven't been chosen, it doesn't matter how much desire you have to go to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do. You, you ain't going to make it because God didn't choose you. And then number five, perseverance of the saints, but they're talking about the elect, those that those God's chosen. And it goes like this. Once you are saved, you can never, ever lose your salvation. You are, you're going to make it no matter what. Now, I realize some people are Calvinists under my pastoral ministry. And I might have, they might sit with you and say, you know, he just kind of was sarcastic on some of those and, and maybe didn't explain it the way it should be explained. I, 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 I received that. But let me give you the five points of Arminianism. Five points of Arminianism. Number one, free will. You choose. Salvation or you're rejected. Number two, conditional election based on your choice. Number three, universal redemption. Even though everybody's not going to be saved, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for everybody to be saved, even though everybody's not going to be saved. Number four, grace and the Holy Spirit can be resisted. You can resist the Holy Spirit. You can say no to God. And number five, and this is a big one because this is, this is the antithesis of the Calvinist belief. Number five is you can lose your salvation. And before you get off in a tither, no matter which side you're leaning toward, all right, all right? Me, how in the world, In the church of Jesus Christ, with the same Bible and the same Messiah, how in the world can we have two schools of thought that on some points are so opposed to one another? I'll give you the simple answer. Because there are points in Scripture to support both arguments. There are verses you can turn to. You turn to John 15. Jesus said, you remain in me, I'll remain in you. You don't remain in me. You're going to be like a stick that's snatched, pulled away from the the tree, and you're going to be thrown into the fire. You read verses at the end of James, and it sounds like, it sounds like, wow, if I'm not careful, I may lose my salvation. Then you go to other scriptures, and Jesus said, no, no, if you're in me, I'm in my father, and nobody can snatch me out of the father's hand. And you're in my hand, so nobody can snatch you out of my hand. You're secure. And there are verses. That's how we. That's why we have two camps, doctrinally. That's why we have. That's why we have fighting over it too, and it's crazy, it's wrong. You say, "What are you, pastor? I'm neither." You say, that's a cop-out. I'm telling you, I'm I'm going to make a statement. And I want you, you can't see into my heart, but in my pastoral ministry, I've never wanted anybody to be in the Arminianist camp, and I don't want anybody to be in the Calvinist camp. I think both of them have wrong statements in terms of their doctrine. I think they're both wrong. That doesn't mean the Calvary Chapel as a movement has all the right answers. I'm not saying I know everything. We see in a glass darkly. But I still don't retract the statement that I don't want you to be in a Calvinist. And I don't want you to be an Arminian a Caesar. I want you to be biblical. Everybody would say that, and the Calvinists say, "Well, we're biblical." And Arminian they say, "We're biblical." But look, <sighs> if it's bothering you now, where do you get to point five? Let's get to point five. You're bothered now. We ain't there yet. Let's let's go to something that really bothers you. Verse 17. Look at verse 17. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. That sounds arrogant. (laughs) Verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? That is, if you don't have a choice, why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? And here's the answer back from God, through the apostle Paul right here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? That's a kind way of saying, shut up. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why'd you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Now, you get to this juicy part, and it really does sound like God is not really fair, that he shows favoritism. Jacob, have I loved, Esau have I hated, and some predestined to heaven and some predestined to hell. If you think that's what God's saying, you stay awake. Point number five is simply this. God is sovereign, yet he does not violate man's free will. And it's fascinating how the two work together. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and if you read the story, God also hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. Romans chapter 1, for those who rejected the knowledge of God, God said there came a point. He said, okay, if that's what you want, he gave them over. God is sovereign, but he doesn't violate man's free will. So if you're tempted to blame God, thinking he he does wrong, (laughs) think twice and keep your mouth shut. Is that not what the text just said? That's what it said. Who are you to talk back to God? But again, if you're questioning God's character, mm -mm, we're not done yet. If we could read all the chapters and study them together, the end of this section, which I told you is all connected, chapter 11 ends this way, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. But now point number six, Romans chapter (laughs) 9. Verse 22, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. People headed for hell. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. In other words, an amazing change is going to happen in lives of people who don't deserve it. (laughs) I, I love this one. The objects of God's mercy and salvation are completely undeserving, and they know it. Jesus, on another occasion, said to the religious people that were not receiving Him, were not coming and confessing their sins and looking to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, and He said to them, The people that are coming, the prostitutes, Tax collectors, which were, I mean, looked down upon by the religious community in that that culture. All the people that everybody knew were sinners. Those are the guys that are coming. Those are the those are the people that are coming, because they knew they had a need. They knew they needed a savior. They knew their problem.
0: Thanks for joining us today to study the Book of Romans here on the Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You can hear this message again or more of Pastor Danny's teachings at our website ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would simply like to talk with us, feel free to send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. If you're in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would be happy to meet you in person. We invite you to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. In addition to our in-person services, we also live stream each service. So don't let distance hold you back from worshiping with us this weekend. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in again next time as Pastor Danny continues to teach through the Book of Romans right here on The Living Word.